Hi, everybody. I'm Kim Winter. I'm your host today. And before we start, please don't hesitate to go to Logistics Executive TV on YouTube to uh, look at our other uh, podcasts that we're running in this series. Today, I'd like to welcome Rob Hangozara. Hey, Rob. G'day, Kim. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Thanks for coming along. And uh, Rob is the co-founder and joint CEO of Apex's uh, fastest-growing shipping platform, ShipIt. I think, Rob, uh, first time I ran into you was probably well over a decade ago when we were on the um, speaking circuit in various parts of APAC. And uh, probably you'll tell us the story, but I, I think in those days, early in the e-commerce world and uh, certainly early in the uh, in the link up with retail in Australia. So uh, really looking forward to, to speaking with you today. Why don't you give us a bit of a heads up on your personal journey in supply chain, Rob, and then we'll get into it and talk a little bit about Shepherd and what's going on in the market in Australia at the moment. Yeah, terrific, Kim. Um, yeah, we did uh, we did run into each other a fair few times, different warehousing and logistics uh, conferences, and uh, you know it's it's weird to say, but I'd love to be back in those those places at the moment, uh, considering uh, COVID's kind of put put an end to, to a lot of that networking right now. So, uh, but this is good; it gives us a chance to talk. Right. Um, so, uh, mate, look, the personal journey front is quite an interesting one. Um, I am somebody who didn't have a career in logistics or retail, but decided to build a company in logistics and retail and uh, and technology at the same time. Um, just to see so, what would happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just yeah, that that kind of naivety to to kind of take on a big industry which you know nothing about uh, kind of helps in the in the beginning, and then you hit the oh shit moment uh, when you when you realise what you don't know. Um, but look, you know, I think. Um, it's been it's been a really great uh, journey to date. Uh, we've done some really cool things in terms of uh, changing the industry um, and challenging uh, the incumbents to to kind of do better for the end customer. Um, e-commerce is certainly reshaping um, the logistics world in a big way. You know, from uh, point to point and um, you know um, business to business to one point to many and uh, business to consumer. It, it wreaks havoc on supply chains, um, you know, on, on a global basis. So, co-founder of mine, Will, and I uh, have been best mates for the last 17 years. Um, so, we met each other in uni, for better or for worse. We've uh, been really close mates ever since. And uh, I always joke that I spend more time with him than I do my own wife. Uh, you know, the, the good thing is we've we've figured out, uh, you know, how to how to manage our uh, our our you know kind of dynamic really well. Um, and I've been quite fortunate to be able to work with, with a good mate of mine in sort of building building the business up. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, we started out in humble beginnings probably about six years ago um, to, to solve the problem of the missed delivery calling card. I guess that we saw as a, a core failure point of the industry um, and we looked to solve the consumer experience and actually found that the problem existed in, in kind of the merchant sender world uh, and the logistics infrastructure that, that you know, supplies or powers the movement of parcels is a big area of focus for us now. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of been the journey today. Okay. And uh, what were the steps you took as, uh, as entrepreneurs? And I think it's always interesting talking about business partnerships uh, and entrepreneurs, it's, you know, the success rate of, uh, of partners, whether they be two, three or more, uh, stay, staying together over the journey. Uh, we, we look back to uh, the likes of uh, Google and Facebook and what have you. Quite often there are casualties. Um, how, how have you, uh, before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of the business, what are the learnings that you could pass on about maintaining those types of relationships? As you say, quite often 
uh, longer in terms of an hours in the day than, than a personal home relationship. So what are the tips you've got for uh, anybody who's in startups or uh, enduring partnerships at the moment? Yeah, look, I think one, one of the, 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 the biggest value adds of a partnership is that, um, you know, we're, we're all up and down at variable points in the day, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't, don't come talk to me before I have my coffee. Come talk to me right after I've had it and I'll, I'll, I'll be a great person to talk to. Um, Will, on the other hand, is really good before he has his coffee and then he gets really extreme after that. So I think, you know, the, the, the one one key learning is, you know, make sure you have a level of chemistry with with your business partner, um, so much so that you can be brutally honest with one another. Mm. Um, the, the benefit of a partnership means you can be down while the other is up and they can be down while you're up. So you have this consistent flow of energy and movement within a business um, that has been really the secret that's propelled us uh, uh you know, further than, than we've seen some of our peers at the same time. Um, you know, the impact that has on our team means that we're always on, uh, which can be a bit challenging, um, but it helps us push for for kind of a better outcome. Um, on the point of chemistry, um, I often see a lot of business partners form together over a, a common problem that haven't necessarily built a relationship first. Um, you know, and, and as I said, you know, you're spending more time, you know, you spend eight to 10 hours a day, uh, talking to your, your partner in the early days. And then that invariably becomes phone calls wherever you can fit them. Um, and you have to spend a lot of time disagreeing as well. Um, if you can't disagree with a partner, you can't change. And if you can't change, you won't grow. And if you don't grow, the business ultimately, uh, won't succeed. Um, so one of the real uh, benefits of the relationship Will and I have is we can be brutally honest with one another. Mm. Uh, we can call bullshit on one another at any point in time without offending the other person, which I think is really important. In fact, I just jumped off a call with him, uh, which is why well, I was a little bit late to joining you, um, <laughs> where we disagreed about something and we made sure that our voice was clear and we kind of agreed on the path forward. Um, what I've seen in some other uh co-founded relationships that have been arranged is without that chemistry you just don't have those conversations okay. and that manifests itself in different ways Excellent. but yeah that, that, that'd be kind of one of the core core things I'll, i would recommend starting out i'm sort of thinking uh you know your backup job could be marriage counselor as well uh you're applying <laughs> those same rules right um yeah part, absolutely yeah, partnership yeah. counsel, especially <laughs> during the covid period when everybody's been in forced lockdown and what have you and i'm sure in melbourne uh where, where are you melbourne or sydney uh, we're Sydney based. Yeah, you're in Sydney. Uh, thankfully, at the moment, yeah. So uh, but we have we have a team that's spread of uh, a bit a bit far up. But fortunately, okay. Will and I are Sydney based. Certainly not as uh, tough going in Sydney as uh, as the folks down in Melbourne. So hi to everybody in Melbourne and uh, commiserations on your lockdown. But I hear that things are improving there. So great news, and uh, I'm sure everybody's going to want to be uh, moving further than the, the rudimentary five kilometres from their home very soon. Um, so let's, let's get back to it, Rob. So you, when you, I mean, you've been, I think you're corporate, uh, Procter & Gamble, Unilever for a good decade or so before you decided to branch out and do your own thing and, and solve that, uh, that customer problem. Um, wh- what were the starting points for you? How did you get the business cranked up? Um, did you have to seek other funding? Were you, able to, were you guys able to fund it yourselves? Mm. How did you reach out and get your first customers? Yeah, so if I um, if I take my if I cast my mind back to 2014, uh, which was really when Will and I were uh, sharing a beer one night, as we usually would, and we just started talking about things. And one of those things that we spoke about was a really crappy delivery experience that Will had had. Um, you know, he was trying to get a vacuum cleaner delivered, 
and um, his house was about 30 minutes out from the CBD in Sydney here. Um, and uh, he was at work in the CBD, uh, working for PwC at the time. Um, and um, the, the courier had called him and said, I've got a delivery for you, mate. And he said, well, I'm not home. Just leave it on the doorstep. He said, I don't have authority to leave. You're going to have to call the retailer. And so this whole rigmarole ensued, which eventually ended up in Will driving his car, you know, into the city, paying for parking, going down to the mailroom in PwC, having a delivery sent or redirected, which came at a cost to the retailer and the courier to take that vacuum cleaner from 30 minutes out into the CBD, delivering this massive Dyson box into a mailroom, which is about two by two metres, with a mailroom guy, you know, shaking his head at Will saying, what are you doing here, mate? Um, you know, that, that experience in itself kind of underscored the, the challenge that we, we started to think about, which was, well, e-commerce is growing at a rate of knots. And if the delivery experience is as hard as that for a vacuum cleaner, just imagine what it's like for a fridge, a couch, a TV, anything else. And we really need to try and remove some friction if we want to grow it. So going from idea to concept to execution took us about 12 months, if I'm honest, um, we spent a lot of time speaking to people, uh, obviously not domain uh, experts ourselves. We spoke to retailers, couriers, investors, uh, you know, people in finance, uh, you know, end customers, uh, family members, you name it. We just went on a rampage to fully understand the problem. And I think the benefit of investing your time in understanding the problem means you don't become obsessed with an idea. It's a really important um, uh, tip for, for anyone who's starting a business to remember is if you are passionate about an idea, an idea can fail, but a problem will always persist. Uh, so focusing on that problem meant we could pivot the idea as we got more feedback and we learned and responded. So uh, fast forward to 2015 when we kind of launched the business officially, uh, we had built out an on-demand three-hour delivery uh, company. We bootstrapped that, so it meant we funded it ourselves Yep. Um, we weren't willing to, to knock on family and friends' doors for money just yet. Um, and we kind of made ourselves a bit of an agreement. Um, so we kept pushing this thing along as we had our full-time jobs. Um, and we made an agreement with one another that we would jump in if we had a paying, cust or paying customers technology that actually worked uh, and, and the prospect of funding on the horizon. So we took the leap and then we secured funding from a, a, a super angel in the early days mm -hmm. who was an introduction from a friend of a friend. Uh, and then that formed part of our seed financing round, which then allowed us to employ staff, pay ourselves a very modest salary and get the business going. Good stuff. So, you know, I think we've seen a lot of media about uh, there's a lot of startups around the world and our audience and all the different countries that people uh, join us from will have seen a lot of startups and a lot of the organisations which are well established in online e-commerce, especially from into from retail um, have been booming. There's a lot of boom results around. Of course, it's not all beer and skittles and, and success, but um, I, I would like to hear from you guys about how COVID has affected yourselves um, and give us a bit of an insight into what sort of uh, volumes have been coming through and how you've managed and dealt with that situation. Yeah, look, Kim, it's, um, it's a really interesting one. Um, so I think a little bit of context around the business model that we have um, might, might, might be helpful as I kind of uh, go into this next part. But, um, you know, ship, ship, it's a technology platform that coordinates logistics uh, for retailers. Um, so the problem that we're really solving is 
how do we uh, match make the order information with the career capabilities without thinking? So opinionated by default, we're connecting, you know, retailers to carriers and carriers to their customers uh, and wrapping that journey all behind a really lovely uh, consolidated tracking experience powered by the retailer's brand. So we're empowering retailers to really own that experience. Um, so obviously being really uh, deeply connected into retail, uh, when COVID hit, uh, the market kind of started to, to shudder along a little bit. We weren't quite sure where we'd end up. Mm. You know, we, we took a view that was quite pessimistic and we're a venture-backed business. And as a venture-backed business, you know, you're investing quite heavily in growth. Uh, so you're operating at a pretty significant loss every month to ensure the next month's results do come in. And so the moment that we started to, to um, observe what was going on globally, we heard some reports out of China, you know, prior to Chinese New Year and then into Chinese New Year, et cetera, we knew it was going to be a pretty big deal. Um, so from about uh, mid-February, we decided to shut our office and uh, we were 100% remote working from that point. Mm. And it was probably a month later when the government directive was to get everybody to work from home. Um, around the lockdowns. Um, at that time, we also started to project out a few different scenarios um, and our view at the time was quite pessimistic. So we needed to really um, protect the business, um, save as many uh, jobs as possible, extend our financial runway and get going. Um, so so we, we made some really crucial decisions. We threw our strategy out of the window and we focused on cost control at all costs uh, with a view to get to profitability really quickly. Um, and Within the quarter, what started to happen was lockdowns uh, were put in place. Um, we then saw a lot of, um, you know, home office setups, home gym setups, a lot of people getting ready to work from home. Um, and then obviously as physical retail was shut down as an option to buy, the only way to purchase was online. And then the COVID boom hit. Um, and so it really hit us by surprise. But thankfully, we're used to the elasticity of demand in e-commerce with Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and what that can do to your network. So our technology was ready, and we had the right capabilities. And in fact, what was quite fortunate for us is as the increased delivery volume started to melt supply chain networks um, of the, the larger carriers, we had optionality on our platform to provide some relief to those bottlenecks. Um, so COVID's been a real boon for our business in terms of seeing the volumes come through, but more importantly, it's been a boon for our retailers uh, mm -hmm. because they've been able to maintain agility. They could use shutdown stores as distribution centers uh, that could still operate, so they could still employ staff to go and fulfill items from store uh, and a number of other things. So um, we're still going through that journey. Uh, Victoria's lockdown has been another one. Um, where we've seen e-commerce demand just continuing to surge. Um, but even then, whilst lockdown uh, restrictions have eased across Australia, we're still seeing demand, um, you know, holding at a very high level versus what it was pre-COVID. Okay. How, how have omni-channel retailers been responding to uh, the, the COVID scenario, especially in, uh, in Melbourne? Yeah, look, it's quite interesting with the, uh, the omni-channel retail space, Obviously, um, seeing the acceleration of digital over the last few years has kind of meant the uh, the purpose of the store has shifted. Um, if you followed Accent Group's journey locally, uh, who are a prominent footwear, um, you know, uh, group that that runs all of major footwear brands in Australia, they've done an excellent job of transforming their stores into experience centres and leveraging them as distribution mm. centres. So they were kind of ahead of the curve. Um, a lot of I mean a lot of omnichannel retailers that still saw online as a completely separate store mm -hmm. or channel versus their stores 
they've struggled a bit and it's it's um you know covid really hit them by surprise um fortunately a lot of the merchants that are on the ship it platform had already seen the opportunity to leverage store networks as uh as fulfillment centers or, or micro dcs um so we just helped accelerate that migration um so for omnichannel retailers the role of the store has shifted from one where you sell to customers directly to one where you sell to customers online and use your store as a fulfillment location. Yeah. Uh, and that that's, again, that's that's been a godsend for a lot of omnichannel retailers. We've seen a great deal of resilience through omnichannel networks as opposed to, you know, some of the pure play retailers that have really bottlenecked in, in sort of DCs uh, because they don't have many options. Sure. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of uh, media around experience centres and their transformation that omni-channel and channel space, of course. That, that sort of leads us to segue into further technology. What, what's your view on how technology has come into play in regards to driving growth during you know, pretty uncertain times? What sort of technology are you seeing uh, having an impact on supply chain? Um, I'm definitely seeing a lot more... Um, you know, optionality. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, the big thematic is is flexibility and speed of, of change. Um, when you think about business continuity practices through uncertain times, um, retailers need optionality. Um, so we're seeing a lot more um, redundancy being built in. So if I have a DC, I want to make sure that a store is available for dispatch or I want to make sure I have an alternate DC. Um, because if you have a COVID infection in one, that complete operation shuts down, you can't service your customer mm. demand. Uh, so there's a lot of risk around that. Um, I can't speak to a lot of the automation, but I have noticed an acceleration in, in you know, uh, investments in tech, um, particularly around stores which didn't have uh, online presence before. Now, uh, you know, who would have thought in 2020 you don't have an online presence, you know, and, you know, seeing retailers starting to move more aggressively into that space. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the the final point on innovation through um, through these uncertain times is, you know, the focus on expanding your product offering has been a really interesting thing. So we've seen an increase in drop shipping as a result as well. So you know, every retailer is now selling sanitizers and face masks uh, because they sell really well, uh, but also where that's fulfilled from could differ, and so that's where dropship come becomes a really important play. Give our, give our audience, sorry, give our audience a description of drop shipping for those who don't uh, are not familiar with the firm the term. Yeah, um, so drop shipping is a uh, you know, and I might get the official definition wrong, but it's where you have a retail brand, which is the destination um, that uh, handles the transaction and is the retailer of record or the business of record for the customer. But they may allocate it directly to a vendor or supplier of those products to fulfill the items directly from their warehouse to the end customer, uh, without being identified. I guess so. So that that explains drop shipping in a way. It's how um, Amazon's marketplace works. Um, you know how eBay works. I guess in any marketplace that you see out there that doesn't own the products themselves, but sells yes. them on behalf of a merchant. Sure, no issues. So give us um, before we wrap up. Give us a bit of a heads up on where you see. Last mile going to. I mean, you know, inshallah, God willing, we will move through this phase. You know, let's all be hoping we're closer to the end of the year this year than into next year when we have these severe lockdowns all around the world and a lot of countries are struggling more than others. <clears throat> I see uh, Qantas in the media overnight talking about, you know, not really cranking up their international flights for another two to three years. 
But at the same time, you know, we're a very resilient company that's diversified and, and dealt with disruption pretty pretty well from an Australian company point of view. But from your perspective, and I know the way you think is very global as well, talk to us a little bit about what you see happening with Last Mile. Um, what are going to be the major drivers for innovation and development in Last Mile? And um, how you see us coming through this phase and will things go back to what they were with Last Mile before or we pass that and into innovative, innovative changes which are, which are going to move us into the future? Kim, I think that the, uh, the the core challenge for the logistics industry is that e-commerce is still at its infancy, right? And so what does that actually mean? Um, so let's let's lay out some of the macro trends, right? Macro trend number one, uncertainty is a constant. In Australia alone over the last 12 months, we've had, um, you know, natural disasters in terms of, you know, the worst bushfires we've seen in a very long time. Um you know, we've had um, cyber attacks on some prominent logistics providers as well, which have persisted for more than four to six weeks, which meant they couldn't even take a booking and they couldn't deliver a parcel, you know, reliably. Um, and then you've got COVID, a pandemic that's not likely to go away, um, you know, fully anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so dealing with uncertainty is one one area. The second piece is you have a growing population and the growing population uh, will obviously, uh, you know, we'll see an increase in digital penetration as generations start to shift and start to buy online. You know, Gen Z, I think, is the generation that was born with a mobile in their hand. You know, they don't know any other way but e-commerce. So as we start to see maturity in those spaces. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the, the third piece is, you know, this digitization and this um you know, uh, immediacy of demand is another macro trend um, that will, will um, you know, impact last mile. So without rambling too much, effectively what these three big vectors tell us is there's going to be a whole lot more uncertainty in the market, so we need better optionality. Um, you can't rely on humans and also the volume that will start to be pumping through the e-commerce space uh, is not only going to double, it will more than likely triple or quadruple depending on where you are in the world. Uh, e-commerce penetration as a percentage of total retail sits at around 10 to 20 percent in some markets, but globally probably at about 10 to 12 percent. And if you think about, you know, dialing that up to 50 percent of retail, it's going to wreak absolute havoc on supply chain networks. I think I attended a talk at South by Southwest last year on uh, on logistics and UPS came out and said, um, you know, in the next 10 years, there won't be enough humans to move the amount of parcels through their networks mm. based on the US population alone. Um, this tells us that the innovation trends that we will see is massive increases in automation, massive increases in localized fulfillment. So micro fulfillment centers in neighborhoods, um, more consolidation across networks, because today we see a lot of uh, collaboration across logistics networks with carrier A using carrier B as a handoff point. Um, but that's not a dynamic process right now. And in order for the market to scale as it is, you're going to need to see capacity uh, connected from all different types of carriers and logistics pieces of infrastructure that are out there. So we see uh, greater connectivity, greater automation, and um, and uh, and you know the the ability to be more agile as the key trends in innovation. I'd love to say drones and laser beams are going to be the the main thing. Uh, drones have a purpose, but I think autonomous vehicles will be more more likely in our next five to ten year horizon, particularly for line haul. Good stuff. Hey, before I let you go, <clears throat> a quick, quick uh, couple of quick fire answer question answers. 
Um, one that I ask everybody is, you know, when you're looking for talent to bring into your own organization, what are the two or three things that you immediately look for in the talent that you're looking to, uh, to recruit and to uh, ship it? Curiosity and resilience, Kim. Love it. They're the two main, main traits we look for. Yeah. Cool. Very good. And the next one is, you know, you're, you're a fairly uh, high-profile entrepreneur in the Australian supply chain market. But even if you pan out and think about just the other business entrepreneurs, uh, what are the two or three things that you could contribute to people's mindsets, whether they're just getting into business or they're in business and they might be pushing it up a little bit? What are the two or three contributions and thoughts you could share with uh, our audience? <laughs> um, I, I think that pushing it uphill is uh, is a constant piece uh, for many people in business. You know, um, I'm sure you can attest to Kim. It's a constant battle. Um, I think if you're not a fan of anxiety and midnight thoughts, then business is probably not for you. Um, but look, just uh, stay the course. If you know the problem and you're solving the problem, keep solving the problem, and success will follow. Is is the fundamental belief. Um, you know, without getting too motivational posterish, you know, you know, failure is is a state, right? So if you if you choose to believe that you've failed, then you have failed, and if you don't, you just got to keep going. So the art of the pivot is real. It's important. It's not a stigma. Um, just keep pivoting until you really solve the problem that you have, um, and be passionate about it. Good stuff. No words of wisdom, mate. And just on that point, uh, for uh, for our audience, look at. You know, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and a lot of this is coming through into the service in these really, really uncertain and really strange times. Uh, I know a lot of companies have done very, very well, um, but there's a lot of people under pressure, a lot of people out of work. And in regards to, you know, if you're in, feeling anxiety, stress, depression, we've had some fantastic speakers on um, in recent months. Uh, we've got some podcasts from those people, by all means, go to Logistics TV. Uh, you can drop a, a, a mail to me or in the comments and we'd be happy to connect you up with some people that can help you out in that space. Uh, Rob, always a pleasure, mate. You're a legend. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Congratulations on your progress so far. Absolutely. Thanks for your contribution. Um, really look forward to catching up with you again. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on, Kim. Um, yeah, and uh, best of luck with everything and to everybody else out there. Thanks, Rob, from Shippet, and uh, thanks for our audience for joining us. Stay safe, everybody. Thanks. Take care. Cheers.